two weeks away from Easter. Whether or not we'll be able to worship together, we still don't know. But at least we'll be able to worship a crucified Savior and a resurrected King. That's what we've been studying, what we've been looking at in the days, the Sundays that line up before Easter as we, as we get our focus straight on what Easter is really all about. And we're looking at some encounters that Jesus has with some folks along the way to the cross. You may remember we began a few weeks ago by talking about how Jesus had steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He was like a, a missile. He was focused. He was intentional in all that he was doing as he made his way from Galilee down to Jerusalem, knowing that it was to go to a cross. We see that as he was traveling, he encountered some folks along the way and some folks who, whose world was turned upside down. For instance, we saw Judas Iscariot. He had traveled with Jesus, had worked with Jesus for for more than three years, and he had been zealous towards Jesus becoming the Messiah that he claimed to be. But Judas kind of missed the whole point. Judas thought that he should be a political king, one who, uh, one who uh, sat on a throne and reestablished uh, the nation of Israel as a geopolitical nation. So Judas missed the whole point, and he was even so discouraged and so despondent that he even betrayed Jesus and turned him over for crucifixion. Then, last, then we also talked about uh, Mary of Bethany. Mary of Bethany was the one who anointed Jesus' feet with oil. Whereas Judas didn't get it, Mary got it. She understood what Jesus was about and, and where he was going and why he was going. And she realized that Jesus didn't just go to a cross, but that Jesus was going to go to a cross for her, to be her Savior. And how that changed her world, how that turned her world upside down. Today we're going to fast forward to Jericho, just a few days before Jesus would go to the cross. The Passover was about a week away, and as Jesus entered in through the city of Jericho, we're going to see him encounter a man whose life and whose world was turned upside down. So as Jesus is on his way to the cross, we're going to see uh, as he's preparing for Easter and all knowing and understanding what Easter is all about, as he does so, he puts everything on hold. And so today we're going to look at the day that Easter was put on hold. To do so, I'd ask you to open up your Bible to Mark chapter 10. And we're going to begin reading in a moment at verse 46, down through the end of the chapter. This account, this record is, is recorded also in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel. Matthew tells us that there were two men that Jesus had the encounter with. Mark and Luke related as being one, and Mark tells us what his name is. So follow along with me as I begin reading at, at Mark chapter 10, verse 46. It says, they came to Jericho. Now let me, let me just say something about, about this Jericho and about um, what had happened along the road up to this point. Jericho was a city about 15 miles or so to the north and the east of Jerusalem, and it was an uphill walk 
those 15 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem that would take the better part of six hours for somebody who is even used to walking. Jesus was traveling in his entourage from Galilee, and as the Jews would do, they would travel, they would cross the Jordan River and travel south uh, on the east side of the Jordan River in the area called Perea until they arrived at the river where the Jordan River where they would cross over near Jericho. Jericho was about two miles off of the, the Jordan River. And as they are traveling, they, they would bring with them a large group, a, pilgrim of, a pilgrimage of people. Usually in those kind of pilgrimages, there would be a rabbi or an influential teacher, and that person, as they walked, would teach. His disciples would typically walk before them to kind of clear the way, and the, the followers, the learners, would follow behind him, and they would have kind of a Sunday school lesson all the way down from Galilee to, uh, to Jerusalem. So as they've crossed now the Jordan River, they come to the village, the town, the city of Jericho. One more thing about Jericho. Several priests and Levites lived in Jericho. There were so many priests, so many Levites in that time, uh, that they couldn't possibly work all of them at the same time at the temple. There would be too many folks there. So they, they divided their assignments up into two-week stints. And every two weeks, a different group of priests would come into Jer to Jerusalem to do their work. And many of the priests who were working in Jerusalem, lived in Jericho since it was nearby. So I want you to see that as these pilgrims are traveling through Jericho, and as they're, they're making their way, they, they have a, a large contingency of followers that are following Jesus, and they're walking into a city where, where the residents of Jericho come out to the streets to greet these travelers that are headed into Jerusalem for the Passover. That's what we see when we see they came to Jericho. And the scriptures go on then, and it says, as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, especially, I'm sure, the disciples as they led Jesus' way. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped, and he said, Call him. They called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And when Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him on the way. We see how as Jesus was in this time where he's headed to the cross, 
let me say it this way, to save the world. Jesus, knowing why he was going to Jerusalem, a blind beggar stopped him along the way. A man named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. And he says to him, what do you want me to do for you? You see how Jesus was on a very important mission to save the world. But he had time for Bartimaeus as he encounters him along the way. So I want us to talk about uh, a little bit about what we've just seen, what we've read, and then about what it has to do with us in our lives today. The first thing that I, that I want you to see is the, the persistence of the beggar. The beggar's persistence. Jesus has said to him, call him to me. Let me speak with him. I want to find out what this man had. You see, he was shouting when he heard that Jesus was coming along, and he had to hear it because he couldn't see it. But he knew that something was, was happening. Some, there was a clamoring that was taking place. And as Jesus enters into the village and he finds out that it's Jesus the Nazarene, he probably knew a little bit about this man. He probably had heard about the different miracles that had been performed. Maybe even he had heard about the blind, uh, the blind individuals that Jesus healed on the on the road along the border between Judea, or uh, Galilee and Samaria, and how ten ten had been healed and one came back to say thank you to him. He may have heard about that, but he knew that somehow Jesus was coming and he could do something for him. So he shouts. He calls out. In fact, when it says he called out to Jesus, it literally, the word there means he screamed with all of his being. Now, there was a mob there. There was a crowd that was there following Jesus. So he had to be somewhat loud. And most folks have a tendency to shut out the noise from the insignificant ones nearby. Bartimaeus was just kind of the figure in the crowd. Oh yeah, he was somebody that they would come and they would give alms to. They would put, put a, a coin in his cup to help him make it through the day. But he was just kind of an extra in the show. He wasn't a star in the show. And so Jesus, is, is, as he's going, has all of this crowd control around him that keep telling uh, Bartimaeus, Push it down. Keep it down a little bit. This is Jesus. He's got a world to save. But I want you to notice that Bartimaeus didn't stop. He continued to call out to Jesus. And that takes me to my next point, and that is the beggar's response. What does he do? What does he do when finally Jesus said, call him to me? You may recall that it tells us that, that when, when the disciples came to Jesus, or someone came to, rather, to Bartimaeus, they said to him, take heart, he wants to see you. And when that call, that invitation was delivered to him, did you notice what he did? The scriptures here say that he took his cloak and he threw it aside. I'm not going to need this anymore. And he threw it aside and he ran 
to Jesus. That's pretty hard, I would think, for a blind person to do. In the crowd of people, to be, to, to, uh, especially if you're not used to seeing. And he gets up and he's got to find his way through the crowd to Jesus. Probably some helped him, but others were kind of indifferent to what was taking place because after all, this was just a blind beggar. But this man responded as, as urgently and as forcefully as he could to get to Jesus. You know why? Because he was looking for hope. He was looking for some sort of light in his dark world. And he knew that Jesus could help him. Now, when he cries out to Jesus, I want you to notice he doesn't say, Jesus, Lord, Master, Savior of my life. Rather, he calls him Jesus of Nazareth, or, and then he calls him Son of David. Son of David was a messianic title. If you're going to be a Messiah, you have to be someone who's in the, uh, the family tree of David. And Jesus, of course, did that through both Mary and through his earthly father, Joseph. But his, his cry to Jesus wasn't one of, of personal intimacy. It was just a theological term. He's just saying, son of David, have mercy on me. And, and Jesus says, come to me. And then he's going to ask him that important question. Tell me what you want. I want to take a moment, and, and if you've got your Bibles open, go up a few verses to Matthew's Gospel, and, and, um, or, or to Mark's Gospel, about verse 35. It tells us in Mark chapter 10, verse 35, that James and John, sons of Zebedee, those were two of his disciples. In fact, we might say those were two of his primary disciples, if it's fair to give that term to anyone. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, as they're on the road to Jerusalem, with all this same crowd that's following and the, the guys that are before, maybe they've sat down at, at dinner time and as they're around the fire, they come to him and they said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. I want you to look at that. We want you to do what I want. This is Jesus' disciples telling their master, their teacher, now we want you to do for us the demands that we have of you. Sometimes we're that way in our relationship with God, aren't we? Sometimes we say, God, you've got to give me this. God, I need this. I want this. I want this. And that's what James and John were doing that day. Now they had asked, they said, what we want is when you enter into your kingdom that we get to be on the right hand and the left hand. Those are the power hands. We want to be vice presidents in your kingdom. Jesus, of course, tells him, listen, that's not for me to decide. That's not, you, you don't understand what I'm going to have to do to enter into my kingdom. And, and so can you imagine being Jesus as you're along the way and the disciples? The, of all people, your disciples are the ones who come up to you. And they say, we want you to do something for us, and we want you to do whatever it is we ask. Let me just give you a word of counsel. If someone ever does that for you, someone says, I'm going to ask you a question, but before I do, I want you to tell me you're going to do it. 
I, I hope that you would say something like, well, let's wait a minute. I'll wait until I hear it, especially if it's your kids or your grandkids who come up and say that to you. Grandpa, I want you to, I want you to do something for me. I'll tell you what it is. If you promise me, you'll do it. Probably it's going to have some sort of a catch to it. And James and John's request did. We want to have positions of influence and authority within your kingdom. Now, when maybe a few days later, maybe the next day, Jesus encounters, the, as he goes through Jericho, this, this man named Blind Bartimaeus. He asks, he asks him, now, what is it that you want me to do for you? Did you notice what the beggar's request was? Son of David, have mercy on me. I want my sight. I want to be able to see. I want to have my sight restored. Now, he had that one ready, didn't he? He had that bullet in the gun already. He knew exactly if he ever had the opportunity to meet Jesus, exactly what he had asked him. So when Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Then he said, I want my sight. I want my sight. I don't deserve this. I probably deserve to be blind, but I want my sight. Will you restore it to me? And of course, the other gospels, Matthew and Luke say that, especially Matthew says that, that he, he touched his eyes. And when he did, immediately the man had his sight. And the scriptures here in Mark tell us that he, that he then began to follow Jesus. Now, what might be some lessons for you and me in this story, especially as we, as we go through the days that, we are, uh, that we're facing in our world today? Uh, uncharted waters. We, we've never been in a, in a situation like this. Oh, sure, there have been plagues and diseases and viruses and all of these things before, but our whole world has been turned if you will, topsy-turvy, turned upside down. What kinds of lessons can you and I learn as we go through these days and through these times? Let me give you three of them, if you will. The first lesson is this. God is never too busy to meet with you. God is never too busy to meet with you. Jesus was on his way to the cross was on his way to save the world. And he stopped to help out, to listen to a blind beggar. God's never too busy to meet with you. And one of the reasons why we know that's, uh, that's so, why we, why we um, uh, can always count on him is because when we go to him, he's always there to hear us. You ever thought about how busy God's days must be? He's got hot spots all around the world. He's control, controlling this and he's controlling that. And people have a lot of issues. People have a lot of uh, things that problems, at least in their world, their problems. And constantly, all day long, God must be hearing and listening to problems. And sometimes, because that's true, we get the idea that maybe we shouldn't bother God with our problems. Maybe we should just kind of keep this to ourselves and I'll find a way through it. We may not say that out loud, but our actions indicate it. But I want you to know, God's not too busy to meet with you. This coronavirus didn't catch God off guard. 
He isn't still trying to develop a plan. This is all part of his plan, and he'll use it in your life. But you need to know, with all that he has to do, he will do just as he did with Blyden Bartimaeus with you. He'll stop, and he'll say, what can I do for you? Let me share with you a second lesson that, that, we, that we discover here, and that is that we have to never believe that God owes us anything. Sometimes this becomes our attitude, doesn't it? God, why is this happening to me? Why am I having to go through this? Why can't I find any toilet paper anywhere? We act as if God owes us something. Now, the blind beggar didn't. Now, he knew that Jesus had the authority and the power to heal him if he wanted to. He had that kind of trust, but he didn't, he didn't think that that Jesus owed him to be healed. Rather, he just calls out to Jesus until Jesus says, bring him to me. Not out of frustration, not because he's tired of all the yelling, but because God had a plan in this. Did you notice that in this story that they give us the man's name? Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. I've looked that up in the in my biblical encyclopedia, there's only a sentence about him. He's not a significant character in the storyline. He's not a significant person in church history or things like that. But Bartimaeus was somebody who Jesus healed. And his name made scripture because of the fact that he was willing to say, God, you don't owe me forgiveness. You don't owe me salvation but I thank you that you offer it to me. God doesn't owe us an easy day. We may have good days and we may have bad days, but he doesn't owe us anything. So we need to be willing, whatever it is that God's going to send our way and how he's going to send it, to respond in the correct way. Never believe God owes you anything. And let me tell, share with you a third lesson that you and I need to have today. Always practice gratitude toward God. God answers our prayers. Sometimes they're not the answers that we want. They're not the answers that we've asked for, perhaps, or that we expect. Because after all, we tend to be somebody who thinks that God owes us an easy time or he owes us something. But when he answers our prayer, we have to be willing to be grateful for the way that he answered the prayer. Now, in this case, Jesus touched the eyes of the blind man, and he could immediately see. And did you notice what it said he did? He immediately began to follow Jesus. That was an act of gratitude. Now, not everybody along the way was so willing to act with gratitude. You remember, if you back up a little bit further in the Gospel of Mark, Chapter 10, you will see Jesus have an encounter with a man that's called the rich young ruler. And as he has this encounter, this man comes and says, Jesus, I want to know what I can do to have eternal life. Jesus says, you want to have eternal life? If you want to have life, keep the commandments, keep the rules, and you have life. He says, yeah, I've done all these things since I was a kid, but something's missing. What is it that I can do to have the eternal life that you offer me. And Jesus says, here's what you need to do. This is the one thing you lack. 
Take everything that you've got, sell it, get rid of it, give the money to the poor, and come and follow me. Scriptures say that the, young, the rich young ruler walked away from Jesus sorrowful because he had, he had a lot to give up. And he wasn't willing to demonstrate gratitude to Jesus by following him. This blind beggar didn't have much to give up. But he still, when Jesus gave his sight to him, he still chose to follow Jesus. He, he went in to the crowd behind and, and decided, I want to learn from him. I want him to be my teacher and my Lord. That's what we need to learn and to understand. We need to practice gratitude rather than complaints. Don't you love to be around complainers? People who say, well, yeah, it was a good dinner, but... Jesus was one who came and brought sight to this man. And rather than complain, this man showed gratitude. So those are the lessons that we have for today. We, have, we live in, in tough times. But God's here. He will listen to whatever uh, requests that you may have. He will turn himself aside from all he's doing to focus on what you have to say. Don't expect that he owes you anything. But when he answers your prayers, be grateful for what he's doing in your life. I pray that you'll be able to take these principles and apply them into your life this coming week and share them with your neighbors and those that are around. Now may we have a, a time where we commit ourselves to him and to be followers of him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for the word that we've had the chance to study today. Thank you for the example of blind Bartimaeus, who could have easily just kind of faded back into the background, just be another person along the way, a throwaway. But instead, he called out to Jesus in his time of need. Jesus heard him, and Jesus responded. I pray, Lord, that we might recognize how Jesus cares about us and the needs of our lives. So, Father, today we commit ourselves to following you. We commit our, our ways to you. And, Lord, we surrender everything that we have to you. Thank you for teaching us today from your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen.